is up, everyone, and welcome into episode 38 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com, and my co-host, who will be joining us shortly, is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. In this week's episode, we'll get to a bunch of your listener questions. We'll revisit the topic of the two-mic setup that both Mike and I were experimenting with. We also are going to answer the question, if you could have a private lesson with any living drummer, who would it be? In our gear review section, Mike will be checking out the new Peisty 12-inch Rhythmatist hi-hats, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. Do we have like some sort of interstate party for episode 40? <laughs> I think we have to. The midlife. Uh. <laughs> exactly. I mean, the 50th will be like a full-on celebration, like 50 episodes in. But 40, we're going to have to have like kind of that, like, no, now we get in shape. Yeah. Now we commit to fitness. <laughs> this is episode 40. Let's commit to drumming fitness. How no. are you, bud? I'm good. Uh, we need to make. I need to correct myself. I mentioned last week that Anthony Cerrone was in the Philadelphia Orchestra. He actually was in the San Francisco Orchestra, which is very nearby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very nearby close, very for close. you, not for me. Hey, I'm just really stoked that I haven't gotten any emails from Canopus because <laughs> I, I could see them being a little upset. <laughs> you know, I will also confess that I had to go in and re I had to punch in. I said Dave Lombardo's name wrong. Okay, how'd you say it? I don't know. Like I said, Lombardi, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. So in an episode about pronunciation, I'm like, I have to go punch that in. That's just unacceptable. Oh, wait a minute. You fixed it in the mix. Yeah. Oh, you're such a cheater. That's awesome. I had to. Oh, uh, that's so great, man. <laughs> yeah, that episode ruined me because now it's going to be like, all right, is, are we saying everything correctly now because we're all smarty pants? Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> but, but the thing is, I think with... If you mispronounce Sabian and you call it Sabine, fine. Minel or Minel and call it Minel, fine. But with Canopus, my mispronunciation was like, could be hurtful to the company. And I didn't even mean it. It just rolled off the tongue. I was like, man, check out that sweet cannabis snare drum. <laughs> Canopus. Shut up. It gets funnier and funnier every time you say it. It's, and they never would have occurred. Dude, I've been calling it that ever since I saw them at NAMM. So it never even occurred to me to slow slow it down a bit. Uh, good. Oh. Holy shiitake mushrooms. Okay. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Well, I can only assume that we have a fat batch of listener questions. I do, and I want to try to get through some that have been here for a few weeks. Um, okay. Because I still have like maybe three or four brand new ones, but here's a few that have been around. So this one came in from Alan. Uh, I think we had answered his question about miking the ride symbol like weeks ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yes, but he followed up, and he see his current setup is a Peisty 20-inch signature bright ride, and okay. it has two crashes, a 16 and a 13-inch Zildjian thin crash. Um. So what's he what's he asking? Uh, what I find when playing and listening back via recordings is that the over-the-top brightness of the ride symbol cuts through everything, right. and the crashes completely disappear. So, what are the issues I will run into with overhead mics? All right. So, what is he asking? He's still he's still trying to get that. Uh, Minel Pure ride or the Vintage Pure and he said that the guy at his drum shop said like if you get this ride your sound guy will hate you pretty much um, saying that the ride would cut through way too much which yeah the crashes a- are disappearing and the ride is overbearing that's what's happening yeah and I think that comes down to a miking technique thing more than just the cymbals uh, did you say he has a 13 and a 16 crash Zildjian thin crashes so I think I mean, he's, well, first he's, of all, yeah. those are pretty small crashes. Exactly, thirteen. One crash. is called a yeah, that's called a splash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, he's it's looking not, to get. I just mean it's a, <laughs> he's looking to I? get something in the sixteen and the eighteen inch range that's dark and kind of trashy with a quick decay. Okay. I guess so. It'll it'll match the Minel Vintage Pure. Yeah, it's it's weird. The the Vintage Pure is we've talked about it in the past. It looks way different than it sounds. It's it's actually not it has no shimmer to it but it cuts because it has no lathing whatsoever it has no wash so it's almost i i mean i wouldn't put it in the same category but mike we were talking last week about how you've kind of fallen in love with rock rides it's yeah. kind of more like a like a a peisty rude than it is what it looks like you know what yeah. i mean it's yeah. all attack all stick definition so I you know I would suggest don't fall in love with the symbol just because it looks amazing. Um, if you want something that's going to be a little bit more buttery, I would suggest 
I would definitely suggest the 21 inch transition ride because that's going to have a little bit of wash and it won't cut through so much. I would check out Benny's rides, the sand rides, uh, the twenties and the 22s would be great. And then if, if you've already committed to mine, that's what I would suggest in, in Zildjian and Sabian, I would just go with something that isn't quite so bright as, as that bright ride. I mean, it says it in the name. And then, yeah, stepping up your crashes to 16 and 18 or even 17 and 18, that'll really help your crashes fit in with the mix of the ride symbol. Yeah, and I, and I, can't, I can't repeat it enough that you have to examine your playing technique. Are you hitting the ride symbol harder than you're hitting everything else? And, and try to balance yourself first. And then yeah. see what's happening. If, yeah, if the ride point. is really cutting through, then it could be that you just play with a really heavy hand. Yeah, I mean, if we, I mean, we're sitting in the room right now, or where I'm recording this, I'm in the same room as my drum set. So let's just take a listen to my ride real quick by itself. So it doesn't make any noise. So if if the <laughs> ride is loud, you made it loud. The ride wasn't loud. We Man, just was, listened to mine, and it doesn't make... Were you listening for sound? I was like, is he going to just drop some freaking audio in here? <laughs> just on the fly. I didn't even warn you about it. It's like, here's where we drop the audio. No, I just meant the the ride isn't loud. It doesn't play itself. So yeah. if it's being loud, it's because you're hitting it. Now, and we're not blaming you. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I do think you probably have a symbol. That ride is far too thick and bright for the two crashes you have next to it so i think you i think you're on the right track even out the crashes get a, a little washier less dense ride you'll be happy yeah and as a side note i i used the rock ride this past weekend on a gig with a you know, super loud hard rock band and i had three different people come up and say what was that ride symbol it sounded so amazing really it's just a zildjian a rock ride but going in i know that's heavy artillery so I have to be careful. I don't. Right. I don't try to wash on it, you know. And right. when I play it as a ride, I'm I'm definitely playing it lighter than I would if it was like a medium ride. Nice. But it has a good sound. So just because it's a heavy symbol doesn't mean it's going to sound bad. You just have to know how to control it. Absolutely. So, yeah, but I think you, exactly. Get some bigger crashes. Let's move on. Uh, AJ, he wants to know. Actually, we have two questions on the same topic. So let me find the second one. Um. One is from AJ and one is from. It is. I'm really organized this week. <laughs> no problem. Uh, we're just going to keep listening to my ride. <laughs> Actually, while we're at it, let's give that old 20 inch kick a little listen, too. <laughs> it's from Michael Beachy. Okay. So we've got AJ and Michael. They both basically want to know the same thing. AJ wants to know do you guys tailor your diet and exercise to accelerate your drumming in any way? And then Michael wants to know, how do you eat before, after, or during a gig? Ooh, those are – well, you you and I have different gigs. My gigs are clinics generally, and so they're speaking gigs, which means I actually have to be very careful with what I eat because I'm going to be on a microphone, and I don't want to kind of do an mm. all the time. So <laughs> I have to actually be – because I've made that mistake, you know, and uh, – it sucks when you're just trying to stifle everything. Uh, Have you watched that uh, Jeff Picaro Musicians Institute masterclass that's floating yeah, around? And yeah. he's, it's like he just had spaghetti like two minutes before. Yeah, with like, a burger and a shake. <laughs> exactly. And he probably did because he was probably like, yeah, let me just get a bite to eat real quick and then we'll film this thing. So I, I've learned my lesson on that. It, it sucks because sometimes I'm just starving. So when I when I travel and do these clinic tours, I always have a bag of different protein bars. I have like mini packages of almonds, just things so that my stomach isn't, so I'm not hungry before I play. That's about the level I get to. I don't want to be hungry. And then I know that, you know, as soon as it's over, I'm going to go pig out and be a a glutton. Uh, As far as fitness and tailoring the diet for, for drumming, I think I just tailor my diet for life. You and I have talked about this Mm -hmm. in the past where if I eat like crap, I feel like crap. And if I eat good, I feel good. And when I feel good, I have more energy to play the drum set. Yeah, exactly. It's just like shoes. I just choose shoes and food that makes me just feel healthy throughout the day on a normal day so I can go play if I need to play or I can go run if I need to run or whatever. Um, now, what's your what's your take on hair product? For me, I've got a... I've got puffy hair, so I have to have a little something in it just to now, keep it from puffing the out. reason I'm asking is on the gigs, does the sweat come down into your eyes and get hair product sweat into your eyes? No, that's never. It, it might have happened. Yeah, it's happened on an outdoor gig, but usually because I put my hands in my hair to get it out of my face, and then I rub my eyes, ah. rubbing it into my eyes. But there you go. In general, I actually don't sweat a lot when I play. 
I sometimes think I'm doing something wrong. I'm not playing intense enough <laughs> or something. Well, I'm just glad we stayed on topic. We nailed that question. <laughs> Next. <laughs> Wait a minute. Should we answer the question? We did. Just eat for eat for life. You know, eat, eat to be healthy. I mean, I, and I don't do anything extreme. I can tell you that. Like, there's no. Okay, it's drum camp season. I'm going to fast for 30 days or I'm only going to eat apples or, or you know. I I mean, honestly, I have a lot of healthy snacks around the studio because I'm here all day long by myself. So it would be really easy to pick out. But I, I have bags of almonds. I have tons of fresh vegetables and fresh hummus all the time. If I'm going to snack on something and I do have a snacking problem, it's it just has to be healthy. So I yeah. just cut up some cucumbers. Um, pour some, you know, vinegar and olive oil on it, and eat that or whatever. I mean, yeah. it's. I just don't have any. I don't have chips or cookies or anything laying around because otherwise, I'll shut them down. Yeah, me too. Now I do have to caution, take a caution about lifting weights and exercising. I started doing a lot of pull ups, mm. and while it's been great for my fitness, it's created some calluses that are really painful when I play drums. Really? But there's a callus that developed right at my right pinky finger. I guess that's just where my hand kind of really holds the tension on the bar. Okay. And if that gets, you know, if I do a, like a workout with a bunch of pull-ups and go play a gig, that sucker's inflamed. So every time I hit the ride cymbal, it's like a, a needle in my hand. Wow. So I've had to like shave them off a couple times. Well, I had no idea you were such a girl. <laughs> and I don't mean like female. I mean like a little child, like a little tiny girl <laughs> with blonde ringlets in her hair. Uh, no, I, I, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's left over from Tyler trying yes, to get us to fight. Seriously. Jeez, calm down, Johnston. Uh, I already hate myself enough. God, I mean, God, now I'm worried about my pinky. <laughs> hey, it's okay. Every hey, I don't know about you, but every time I see a pinky fly off my stick in a video, I, I, it just makes me want to throw up. I'm like, I great. Now I can't even post that. <laughs> All right, moving on. All right, so let's do let's do one more and see what we got here. Oh, this is interesting. What's the best way to store drums? This is coming from Garrick. He's going to be moving, and he has to store his drums, I guess, in his parents' basement for a while. So it's a leak-free basement. They have a dehumidifier running um, when it gets to that season. They have the gig bags. He's got gig bags for the toms and snare and a hard case for the bass drum. He wants to know, because it looks like it's going to be a while before he gets back to the drums. So should he take the heads off, leave them? Should he... Uh, detention the head should he put any kind of silica gel packets in there or anything special or is he just overthinking it what a great question man just I, hell i'm just happy that he is thinking about it yeah you know some people don't care about their drums enough so that's that's awesome obviously for where i live uh weather is not an issue but but we do have heat and cold so the the rise between cold and hot around here it will change the tension of the head a little bit, but not enough to damage the drum. The only thing that I've ever found that could actually damage my drums where I live is direct sunlight. You know, oh, if you right. leave them in, in the back yeah. of your car without cases. But I have a storage unit. All of my drums are in uh, a head armor soft bags, yep. and that's that's that. And and I and I didn't detension the heads or anything, even though I don't think that's a bad idea. I just didn't. What about? But, but like I said, our weather just isn't that extreme. Yeah, yeah. For me, I mean, I have exactly that setup. All my gear is in my basement, which is leak-free, but it does get damp um, at times, so I have dehumidifier. Most of my drums are not even in cases. They're just stacked. Sure. Uh, and they're just tuned to play. So, and, and some of them haven't been touched in like a year or so. So it's and there's no no problems whatsoever. So as long as it's awesome. not getting actual wet on it, I don't think you're going to have any any problem. I agree, but I, I am stoked that you're even thinking about that. That's great. All right, all right. Well, uh, a couple of weeks ago, you and I mentioned that we were going to try out a two mic setup, and not the normal two mic setup. Usually, when I think of a two mic setup, I'm thinking of an overhead and a kick mic. Um, but we decided to use just two large diaphragm condenser mics, or just two condenser mics in general. And I had to postpone mine because I was having a hard time mixing and not being able to mix the tracks individually because of the way I was doing things. So recently I upgraded to this piece of gear called the Behringer X32, which allows me to go out of that piece of gear just as a stereo source. And then my live broadcast can read that and I can mix inside that piece of gear, which is great, just like a mixing board. But it also allows me to do USB out, which gives me all the individual tracks. So I just asked Mike to give me another week till I got that piece of gear set up so I could do that. 
So I did, and I had an absolute blast, and I can tell you guys you can get an incredible drum sound with just two mics. So, Mike, why don't you run down your experience and your setup for us first? All right. I mean, how deep should we go? Um, I guess let's start with the drums. Okay. So my drums, I, I went with a kit that I thought would be sort of similar to yours, but a little different. So it's a it's a Ludwig kit, mix-matched 60s and 70s, three-ply. It's a 13-inch rack tom, 16-inch floor tom, 14 by 20-inch bass drum. Okay. And I used a 5 by 14 superphonic aluminum snare. The cymbals were... Oh, now I don't remember. It was a K 14-inch K light hi-hats and a... 21 inch actually it was a 21 inch k custom organic ride transition ride cool transition ride <laughs> <laughs> uh. so and so and i picked i picked those symbols because i wanted them to be thin and dark but i didn't want to go like papery just for the purpose of this test i wanted to see what i had to do to make them work got it um i don't think there was a crash so i think it was just it was just those symbols. It was 14-inch K hi-hats, 21-inch K, whatever that's called, custom dark organic ride. And were um, you literally playing a, a police track, or were you just playing that vibe? Just that vibe. I okay. just sat down Got and it. played, yes. And, so, and I used Shure KSM32 large diaphragm condensers. Okay. And do you know about what those run? I can look them up while you're talking. I think they might be like 800 bucks. Something. Okay. They're not like super-duper expensive, but they're, they are Shure's kind of But they're standard. professional. Yeah. Got it. Oh, they're not bad. They're five hundred bucks. Yeah, they're great. I mean, I think they're fantastic for your recording a natural, full range sound. All right, so that's the drums. Um, let's talk about placement of the mics. I put the overhead. If you if you look if you're like a a bird flying above your drum set and you look for the very center point between everything, I put the mic right there. And so okay. what that means is it's. It's kind of like over where the bass drum pedal is, but it's also angled maybe not quite 45 degrees to get it. So it's it's like right, it's like dividing the snare and the two toms right down the middle. Right. Got it. Right. So that's capturing the whole kit evenly. I think I put it like 45 inches above the snare drum. Okay. Like, yeah, so yeah. I'd use a tape measure. And I, that, that height was determined by the, I used a standard boom arm mic stand. So that was as high as I could get it to go. To get it into yeah. that position. And I just so you know, I, I used the exact same distance just so okay. that we were kind of similar. So then I measured that same distance from the snare to the f- in front of the kick, and I put the other mic there. And it was about the height of the top hoop, just aimed okay. right, at the, right at the bass drum. So then I just started playing and recording and listening back. So the first thing I had to do was I had to adjust my plane because I, I heard that there was some major issues with balance. The ride symbol, because the the overhead mic was right over the ride that became like the most that was the most mic mic'd up element of the kit got it so i had to play i the ride cymbal super light super duper light and the hi-hat was really cutting through so the cymbals i had to play super duper light which is pretty much how i play when i record anyway but with just two mics it was really really noticeable um so then i even went as far as i put a piece of moon gel on the top hi-hat cymbal and a piece really? of, yeah, and a piece of Moonjo on the ride symbol to just darken them down a little bit more. Um, let's see. And then, you know what? I was still getting too much symbols in the overhead. So then I ended up angling it. So it started out flat facing the floor. And then okay. I ended up angling it just a little bit towards more towards the snare. Okay. So it wasn't aimed straight at the ride symbol. And that seemed to be getting me the decent um, natural balance. So that was the and I did I muffled yeah I threw a muffling ring on the snare because it was just ringing too much I put a Vader Buzzkill Dry I think whatever they're called yep. on on the floor tom the bigger one yep yep and the bass drum had some regular dampening in it. I think it might have had like a, a t-shirt and a couple of Remo things inside of it I was so shocked at how good it sounded uh it just sounded incredible. I didn't know that you uh, muted down the hats and the the ride a little bit, and that makes a little more sense because when you hit the very first hit after you come in is a crash, but you, I think you're doing it on the ride. Yeah. But it was super muted, and I was like, man, like 
there's a there's a song on one of Benny Greb's albums. It's called Hot Dog, and it, I think he literally gaff taped the entire kit, like every symbol, everything. Yeah, it's just yeah. sounds like a toy kit, but it sounds incredible. But it reminded me of that, and I was like, "There's just no way that room is that dead." But it, so I feel a little better now. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I had, you have to you have to treat the instrument first. So what I do is I turn the my head my headphones up loud enough to where I can really hear what the mics are doing. Yeah. So then you got to. I have to adjust my plane first. See if I can get that the way I want it to sound. If that's not the case, I've got to treat the drums. I don't go straight to treating the drums, but if I can't get it there with just my plane, I, that's the only way to do it. Right. Sure. Um, sure. Yeah. So then I just recorded the beat, and then I went back in and did a bunch of mixing. So maybe we should talk about your setup first, and then do the mixing. Sounds good. So I have the Gretsch Brooklyn that I'm playing. So this is six ply shells maple pop or yeah maple poplar and maple uh 20 by 14 kick so we had the same size kick uh 5 by 14 snare we had the same size snare yep. uh, i have the bronze not copper oh right right and i did finally take off that 42 strand snare on the bottom okay and immediately the drum set sounded so much better because it was just buzzing so much i love sympathetic snare buzz but this was a little out of control okay so i just went to like the normal what's the normal 20 or 25 Uh, it depends there's 30 there's 20 just depends yeah i mean whatever comes on i have a a bunch of like uh pure sound wires just the standards so i went to that immediately the drum sounded better the drum set sounded better so i did that uh, 14 by 14 floor tom 12 by 8 rack tom so pretty standard drum set my normal cymbals and in the sound clip you'll hear from me i don't think i I maybe played one crash i got a 19 inch crash uh byzance extra dry thin crash the 21 inch transition ride and then i'm using 15 inch byzance dual hats and then and then the other stuff i think maybe my stackers in there as well but the gear was my normal setup uh, the the mic I used is the Audio Technica AT forty forty seven MP. The mic is on Sweetwater for eight fifty or eight forty nine, but that's because it's giving you the multiple um, patterns. So that's what the MP stands for, multiple patterns. You can get that same mic for about six hundred dollars if you just have it in cardioid. Okay. Uh, or I'm oh, sorry, if you just have it in Omni. Excuse me. If you just have it in Omni. Oh really? The cheaper version is just an Omni. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, let me let me double check that. I had it pulled up. Um, so, oh no, no, you're right. Cardioid condenser. Yeah, so that Cardioid would be similar condenser. to the Shure KSM44, which has all the, the switchable patterns. Oh, it does. Okay. Yeah. So, and I had mine in cardioid anyway. So, so when you're listening to this, this is a you could get this mic for six ninety nine. So I have it exactly forty five inches above the drum set or above the snare drum. And I have it pretty much in the same position as you. Then bass drum mic, or the front mic, I have exactly the same as you, 45 inches from the snare. And that was just because you had told me that's what you were doing. So I figured yeah. this would give us the best chance to really not just A-B the mics, because I don't want this to be a mic shootout, but I definitely want this to be a room thing. Mm-hmm. And I really want people to hear how different the room can be. Because I my room is pretty lively. And you'll hear there's a huge difference between our two recordings. And the other thing that I, when I sent you my first audio, one thing that I noticed that you said was you said, oh man, I really like that mic. It's really crunchy. Yeah. And so now that we know the drum setup, what does that mean to you? What did you mean by crunchy that you can hear? Like It has a, it's, I mean, it's technically distortion, but it, it, it's not like distortion, like a fuzz box for a guitar. It's distortion, like, like saturation, it's overtones, it's Got harmonic. It. So it, like when you when you do everything digital, it captures so much of the sharp transients and stuff that's just unnatural. Like your ear right. has natural like when you hear loud sounds, your ear naturally distorts. Okay. So this yeah. mic has a little bit of that response where the louder you play, the more it just kind of distorts in a good way. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I know and, and I, I totally noticed it when A being our two tracks together, that yeah, there's a little bit it's not clipping by any means. Right. Uh, it's got a high SPL. It can totally handle it. But there is a little bit of that. I think crunch is a really good word to describe it. Yeah, so. it just makes it sound warmer and less piercing. <clears throat> and it makes it sound more like the way things were recorded on tape. Just naturally. Yeah, exactly. And I think you know, Audio-Technica, because I've had to talk to them quite a bit. And, man, I wish you could just fly to California on Monday. The Audio-Technica, I called Audio-Technica. Audio Technica because of this experiment we did. And I said, hey, I honestly just don't know enough about mics to even use these properly. I really want to know more about microphones. And they said, well, we have like 
a guy in Northern California, why don't we just send him? He'll bring every mic that we make and he'll walk you through everything. And I was wow. like, that'd be great. So the guy calls me, his name's John Hood. And he's like, hey, I'm going to bring a studio owner with me. And the two of us are going to walk you through how to get different drum tones and how to get different sounds. And we'll just save them all in your Behringer X32 as different scenes. And that way, at least when you're done, you'll know. And then you can pass it on to your students. That's I mean, amazing. Heaven. Yeah, I can't wait. So we'll definitely share all of that knowledge. Anyway, so uh, when I was calling Audio-Technica and I was asking them about this stuff and I said, hey, my buddy's using the Shure, uh, what are they, the KSM? 32s. 32s. And they said, okay, well, what we do, and he had n- nothing but great things to say about Shure, but he said, what we do is we try our best to give you just the most honest sound possible so that you have the most flexibility with it. We try not to color it. You can color it all you want. So, yeah, I think that those mics do a great job of that. So now, as far as once we got the mics into our computers, what were you doing? Yeah, so this is where it gets where you have to to experiment and you have to kind of understand frequencies and understand what microphones do that make it sound unnatural. Okay. You know, like, there's always this, this... thing of people saying just record the the drums natural no eq no compression well (laughs) that's great in theory but the microphone always adds its own color right and so especially i mean in the room has its own harmonics and things that get in there so as as you experienced when you sent me your raw recording it sounded cloudy and muffled and not so great Right, because you have to EQ to get rid of the stuff that the microphone in the room is just adding that's not natural. Um, so that's my disclaimer when people say I might be over mixing or whatever. It's not to make the drums sound different. It's actually to make the drums sound like they really sound when I play them. Yeah, it's trying to get that microphone <clears throat> closer and closer to a human ear. Exactly. So I'm looking at. I got the session open now. So on the overhead channel, my EQ. Um, I roll off all the low end below basically like 60 hertz. It has a steep roll off with a slight bump at 60 to kind of just bring up some of the low end that's not there. Um, I've got a, a dip out at like 230 hertz, which is that really kind of mucky. Uh, my engineer friend calls it like the cloud. It just makes cloud. The, it just sound like a, your, your drums are in a dark cloud. So that gets rid of that. I have another cut at 350 which is kind of the same thing it's just more kind of harsh wonky microphone yeah that has stuff. exactly that has that punk punk yeah and that's all caused yeah. by the microphone it's not not the drum and another slight cut around 650 so that's all that low mid stuff that and when you say slight cut are you talking one or two dbs or are you talking like seven dbs uh let's see three db at 230 three and a half db at 350 2 dB at 659. Okay, so nothing drastic. No, and my bump at, at like 60 is 3 dB. Okay. And then I have a high shelf that just kind of livens everything up, opens it up, starting at 4.3 kilohertz, and that's only 2.5 dB. So it's nothing extreme. But it's all just to kind of bring it, make it more naturally balanced. And when, now a high shelf, what does that do? Does that just say from 4... 4,000 hertz up, everything goes up by 2 dB, so you don't have to adjust them individually. Yeah, so there's like a slight slope around 4 and up to like 5, and then it just flats. It's just flat. So you just brought up the highs. Exactly. Just a little bit. A little bit, it goes a long way. Okay, so then... (laughs) Okay. Okay. People, just calm the hell down. (laughs) (laughs) Don't overdo it. And then I have a a vintage-style compressor that's, that's... the slowest attack possible, the fastest release possible, that's only bringing down the hard snare hits just a little bit. Okay, so you're not getting a new tone out of your compressor. You're just evening out the sound. It's just to to make it so I can raise the volume enough and not have the snare sound like it's jabbing you in the face. Got it. And when you say slow, what do you mean? Like 15 milliseconds, 50 milliseconds? The attack is all the way up, so that's like one second attack. Oh the release wow! Okay. is like one millisecond attack. So then I just bring in the, the ratio is four to one. Four so to it's one. all kind of just standard. And then I just bring the threshold down until the hardest snare hits. Bring it down. Let me see. Like two dB. Like okay. barely anything. Got it. Uh, so you're not getting that compressed smack sound. Yeah. That would happen if the release was too slow. It would sound like it was kind of slowly coming back up to right. normal sound. 
Um, so that's that. And, and on all my channels, every time I record, I also have a channel strip plug-in, which just adds a little bit of analog distortion. Yep. To get me more of like what your mic just had naturally. And that's like 3 dB of what they call drive on Got that it. channel. Okay, so that's the overhead. And then the kick, that's where I had to go a little bit crazy. Um, I rolled off the highs... Now, real quick, let me ask you this: Did you so did you treat that front mic as a kick mic instead of another room mic that just had more low end to it? No, no. Okay, I, I treated it as both of them as overheads, but I knew that the front mic was. I wanted to get more of the low end body of the drums. I didn't. Got I wasn't it. trying to get the bass drum. I was just trying to get the drums. Got it. Okay. Cool. All right. So I I rolled off everything below eight and a half kilohertz because the cymbals were just annihilating that that microphone um slight high-end bump at like five kilohertz and then a few cuts one like a 2 db cut around two kilohertz uh 2 db cut around one kilohertz a huge cut like as much cut as i possibly could at 335 that yeah that terrible frequency and then another couple db cut around 150 and then a bump at 60 again got it it's pretty standard moves it's just the the amount and ratio is what always changes with the eq on that so that that just kind of got me a more natural sound that i felt like what you would hear if you were sitting in that spot um, sure rather than having the cymbals just like totally wash it out um and then the compression was exactly the same I was just looking awesome. for like a one or two dB bump whenever the kick hit. And when you were done with this, <clears throat> did you feel that this is an awesome way to record drums? Did you? What did you learn from the process? Uh, you know, that's that's a great question because I I thought that the sound was great and it was natural and it was exactly what I wanted to sound like when I'm trying to assess my own playing. Like this is what I sound like when I'm hitting the drums in my room. At, at that one time but that same day a track came in that i had to record and i'm like cool i'm gonna do the two mic setup on this track <laughs> and the drums just could not compete they right. just they were gone they were just not even in the track i couldn't believe how how i just i couldn't make them cut you were lost in the track yeah yeah oh, so the, it would have yeah. to be a real sparse recording it had to be jazz it would have to be like like minimal instrumentation indie rock or folk or something right. like that or something a shreddy guitar thing and it just sure not not gonna work no or or something like just modern people that just want to put up a video on facebook you know Uh, yeah drums by themselves i think it's you can you can totally just do this forever but as soon as you start adding other instruments it's not going to (laughs) work i definitely think we should also in the future try this again and do the the budget version of it like you know what kind of drum sounds can we get with two mics for say under 300 bucks total and, mm. and we could use a cheap kick mic and a cheap overhead or two two large diaphragm kicks. Yeah, I thought about using SM57s and, and see what I could oh, do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, I, I think that would be really fun, too, because obviously, even though when we say these mics are affordable, that's, you know, we're, we're comparing them to $5,000 microphones. Right. So I understand that buying two of these mics is, is still going to cost you $1,000 or more, and that's that's not affordable if you just are trying to get like man i wish i could put up a video on instagram yeah <laughs> you don't yeah. need to go that big no so. not at all i mean it really you could just use your iphone i mean it's it's fine for that it, yeah and it compresses itself so yeah it, it kind of sounds cool yeah so the only other mixing thing i have to mention and this is kind of a secret that if you're not into the engineering world you won't know but parallel compression is really kind of what what fattens up the overall sound and what is that? So parallel compression, basically what it means is you set up, like in your DAW, you have the option to have the effects either on the channel or on its own channel. Okay. So that's called a, a, an effect send. So you send, if you don't want to have the effects on, like the EQ and compression I'm talking about were on the actual tracks. So then I also send the audio from those two tracks to an effects return and on that return, I put a compressor that I use to hit. I, I hit the compressor a little bit harder okay. with a slower attack and a, and a slower release. Actually, a faster attack and a slower release. So then it, okay. it really kind of it pushes the the transients, the initial hits of the drums, pushes those down, and it brings up the tone. 
Wow. So that, and then you just mix that in a little bit, not to the point where it sounds like you're you're, you're transforming your drum sound, just enough to bring up the sustain and the fatness of the sound. Great tip. Yeah. Great tip. All right, let's well, go into yours. Well, <clears throat> I was thinking... We're pretty nerdy deep into this. Do you want to maybe save mine for next week, or do you want to just fire through this? It's up to you. How you want to one? Well, I, I'm, I'm worried about the listeners. I'm just worried <laughs> about people driving and falling asleep when they're like transients and 60K. Well, let's listen to mine. How about we listen okay. to mine first? That sounds great. God, I'm jealous of how good that sounds. Five years of practice, my friend. Yeah. You should rent out. Well, I was going to say, you actually kind of do rent out that room because you rent it to yourself when people hire you. Yeah, so. and I have had some friends come over and record their drum tracks at my house just because, I mean, I've got all the drums there. This, the drum is ready to go. So they come over, hang out, we grill some burgers, and they record their drum tracks. Oh, I don't awesome, do it man. too much because it's, I mean, I have a policy of not running my computer very hard because it's old. It's dirt. Right. <laughs> you know, they're coming up to do a day of recording. It's like eight hours of, of use, and I can just see that thing like sputting out on me. I'm like, nah, <laughs> let's let's not do that too often. Let's go easy. <laughs> well, it sounds fantastic. I mean, that's like I said, if you're just using it for yourself or for certain projects, I think that's a fantastic sound. So I was very impressed with that and super inspired by that. So we will get to mine next week just because I don't want to bog you guys down with a whole other batch of EQ and we've got a lot of stuff to keep getting to. So right now I have a question for you, buddy. If you could have a private lesson with any living drummer, has to be a living drummer, private drum lesson, who would it be? And you sent me this and it's it's almost impossible for me to answer um, because what I don't want to take, I don't want to take a lesson with someone who's going to give me a bunch of stuff to practice okay. because I just don't have time to, to like practice eight hours a day. Sure. So I have to be careful and not choosing someone that's like, like Mike Mangini, I would love to be able to do what he does, but it's going to require a lot of practice and I'm not, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really in that mode in my life anymore. Right. Um, and at the same time, I don't want to pick someone like Steve Jordan because uh, I it was cool to hang out with him. I don't know what he would show me or tell me to do that would change what I'm already doing. Sure. Um, so I think just studying his recordings and his video is enough. So I'm thinking I want to go with someone, someone who's an amazing studio drummer. Okay. Um, and actually someone who I've trying to get him to give me lessons now. And that's near Z. Ooh, nice. Now is he, he's in New York now. No, he moved in. He moved in Nashville. Oh, he did. Okay, yeah, so but he we, was in New York, right? Yeah, for years. He did the first two John Mayer records and Chris Cornell and all that stuff while he was living Genesis. in New York. Genesis. So I I got to hang out with him a bunch when he was in town and 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 go to a studio and and kind of see the magic that his special gift, which is to play perfect parts with perfect sound and perfect timing on the first take. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. He sounds like he sounds like he's beat detective but a human being right so i want to know how to do that <laughs> I'm and i still of, don't want to practice well yeah, i mean that's no, the stuff i don't mind because i record myself every day yeah so, and, and so, you don't it doesn't feel like practice because you yeah. just enjoy it you know i don't want to i don't want to play faster anymore i want to be able to play more deliberately and with more control and with great sound on the first time and not feel yeah. like because right now every time i listen back to myself i'm like man do it again do it again do it again Right. I have a feeling that Nier never says that. It's just it's like, like that was good. Let's try a different version. Right. Sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's just giving the producer a kaleidoscope of colors to look through. Yeah. So I would pick Nier Z or Shannon Forrest, who is another. He's a Nashville session guy who's in Toto now. We've talked about him before, but yep. He has an ability to be kind of reckless in the studio, but still incredibly precise and accurate. Like he. When he he feels like he's always like a band member when he plays sessions, like he's been playing these songs for years and he's got all these he just kind of free when he plays, 
And that's something that I cannot do. Whenever I try to just go for it on a track, I just I sound stupid. I don't sound I don't sound good. <laughs> that's awesome. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think it actually sounds stupid from somebody else's perspective, or do you just feel that about yourself? I mean and Do you think you can judge yourself? I mean, does the producer ever go like, by the way, that's horrible, just go home? I can judge it compared to what I hear on tracks from the guys that I admire and it doesn't okay. it doesn't give me that reaction. So Okay. I feel I, it's the same thing. I've we'll get to it later, but I'm, I've been reobsessing with one of my all-time favorite drummers, and it's it's getting to the point where it's depressing. Like when I hear how how <laughs> how they can just go nuts on the drums, and it just sounds amazing. Where if I try to do that, I'd listen back and like you lost the time a little bit. Your your strokes are inconsistent. Like I just don't. I uh. feel like an imposter. The old imposter syndrome. There it is. So I think Shannon could help me kind of let go of that. What what. What tools do I need to sharpen to where then when I just go for it, it still sounds good? Yeah, nice. What about you? It'd probably be a toss-up between two people that I've never met and that I I love getting lessons from people that I don't know and that I've never met, especially people that aren't in the whole online world because then they have no reverence for it. They don't know who I am. They don't know what I do. So I know that everything they're giving me is fully honest. Uh, that's why I started studying with Will Kennedy in the first place was he had no idea what I did. And I loved that. Um, so it would probably be between Josh Freeze and Matt Chamberlain. Yeah. And I think Josh and I would kind of connect on the fact that we're both rock guys at heart. Yeah. We can play a lot of different things. But if as soon as there's distorted guitars – I feel at home. Yeah. Uh, even though I don't really do that stuff anymore, it still it still doesn't change. But with Matt, I think it would you know come down to Matt Chamberlain and what I I would love. I don't need a drum lesson of rights and lefts, just like you said. That's not what I'm into anymore. And I can I feel like I've gotten to the place where if I was into it for a week or two, that I can study it on my own. But I would love to just find out how did you practice texture? You must have. Yeah. been blocky and just a normal rock drummer and then at some point around that fiona apple time it just was so textured and i couldn't tell are you playing with three hi-hats at once or is that one set of hi-hats like i don't how did you practice that that's what i want to practice i don't want to try to do anything more coordinated or any faster than what i can already play i just want to work on my sound and i want people to think that they're hearing a percussionist and a drummer when i play the drum set yeah so i i I would love to just and i think god that guy's done so much stuff that we don't even know about i would love to just get a couple stories stories are my favorite you know if i can soak in a story from something so uh yeah, I would definitely. It, it's tough, like you said. I would love if I had your Mike Mangini lesson for me. That would be Todd Zuckerman. Uh, oh, I yeah. think he's just so proficient on his instrument, and I yeah. actually love the way he sounds. And he's just a great guy. So if I could take a drum set, drum set lesson, it would probably be with Todd Zuckerman. But if I could choose one person to get one private hour with, I think it'd be Matt Chamberlain. Good choice. I almost chose him, but I, I didn't go there. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we. It's Matt and Mark Juliana will always come up in the yeah. podcast at some point. At yeah. some point, and the people that have never checked out either of them at some point will and be like, "Okay, I totally get why these two guys get talked about so much." So, all right, well, let's get into a, our gear review section. So, uh, last week we checked out some new rides from Peisty, but this time we're checking out the new Peisty 12-inch Rhythmatist hi hats. So. I actually had some 12-inch hi-hats. They weren't the Rhythmatist hi-hats, but I had some 12s in the Signature Series back when I was a Pisces artist. And my very first YouTube videos have them in, and they're still up on YouTube. And they are? Yeah. It's oh, me playing a, a Silver Sparkle DW kit. I'm playing, it's, I think, and I'm not trying to brag here, but I'm pretty sure I did the first ever drum cover. On YouTube. This is like 10 years ago, and I did a John Legend tune called I Used to Love You. Oh, wow. And I'm playing a Silver DW with 12-inch Peisty Signature hi-hats, and those weren't special to me. Those were my hi-hats. I loved those things. I played them all the time. Because I was into like a lot of fast hi hat stuff, they yeah. pick up every single note. Stop looking! I I'm can hear you typing. <laughs> You're not going to find it. I'll send it to you later. You're going to find this. Hi, my name is Mike Johnston. <laughs> Welcome to the Drum Lab. I sound like Shaq in those videos. I'm like, what would the title be? Uh, I'll, I'll find it. I'll track it down. 
because I, I the reason I leave I've left a couple of those up from ten years ago is because I want people to see the journey. I don't want them to only see what it's become and yeah. think that that's the norm. I want them to know like, hey. I used to not be able to speak to a camera at all. I used to be very nervous in front of a camera and I didn't know how to edit and I didn't know how to light things and I didn't know how to record things and I learned. So if I can do it, then you can do it too. But it does suck leaving those things up there. So Yeah, well, I'll find it. I know you will. You're detective. <laughs> all right, so you, you played the new 12-inch Rhythmatist hi-hats and do you own any 12s? Because it's a pretty unique size. I don't. I in one of my bands, I the uh, the electronic band, I use 12-inch like old splashes as hi-hats. Okay. But they're like super papery, and that's a that's a different sound. It's not totally hi hat sound. Um, but I I still love Dennis Chambers hi hat sound on his old instructional videos, and they were twelve inch Zildjian special recording hi hats. Why I haven't bought a pair of those in the past twenty five years, I don't know. <laughs> that's still sure. one of my favorite hi hat sounds. Uh, so these were these were like chunkier, heavier a little bit than than I think those Zildjians are. Um, they're in, they're the combo crisp, which I don't really know what that means, but combo crisp hi hats in the signature edition. Um, so, but they were, I mean, Stuart Copeland has such an amazing hi hat sound, and I can't say that these made me sound like Stuart Copeland, but you know, the gear is part of it, and I think they they kind of make you want to play a lot of stuff, a lot of diddles and things, which isn't good if you're playing with singer-songwriters and indie rock, but sure. if you're just messing around, I mean, they were a lot of fun. So you, could get, you can get real real clean articulation with them. Um, they were a lot of fun. So, you know, actually I've just learned, how do you do the uh, the hi-hat stuff? What sticking do you use if you're doing like roughs and little things? Do you use two rights? What do you do? Yeah, yeah. Usually if I'm, I mean, Depends on what you're talking about. I use a lot of five-stroke rolls uh, in there. Uh, if I you're doing like a like a Stuart Copeland, like a four-stroke rough, do you do oh, it yeah. singles? I, singles, singles, singles. He does yeah. it as a right and two lefts, which I just learned watching a video of him really? a couple weeks ago. Huh. So he just when he does all that fast stuff, he's yeah. I think what he's doing is he's keeping the right hand just going with sixteenth notes and then throwing in the left diddle to fill out the triplet. Oh wow! It's, okay, it totally changed my concept of that technique. Yeah, because I definitely do it as that's four singles. Yeah, a four-stroke rough. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, there's some video. I'll, I'll find it. Maybe. I'll so those, those hi hats caused you to dig into like what? What can I get away with? How many notes can I fit? <laughs> in, it actually just time? made me revisit Stuart because I, I I've always loved his plan, but it was so foreign that I never tried to transcribe it and. After this, I actually I've been transcribing a lot of his stuff. Wow! Really now, <clears throat> when I had those hi hats, the one thing that I didn't enjoy about them, and they were different hi hats, they were just twelve inch signature hi hats. The the open is a little tinny when you yeah. kind of open them, so they sound great when you're kind of leaning to the left, putting a lot of pressure on that left foot, yeah. and they're just clamped down. But when I open them, they kind of like sound like toys. Same thing with these. Yeah, they always kind of have like a little bit of a cup chime kind of a sound. Yeah, and that's not a peisty thing. That's a 12-inch hi-hat thing. Yeah, but yeah. so you don't re- – I mean, I wouldn't use them if I'm going to be doing sloshy hi-hat stuff <laughs> at all like that. Yeah, you're not going to – yeah, I got it. <laughs> not going to cover the first Nirvana record with these. Yeah, but they do really good fast barky type things. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, let's, uh, let's give them a listen. Those are sounding crisp. I'm saying that because I'm assuming they are, but I won't hear them till tomorrow when I'm hanging out in the shower listening <laughs> oh, to the podcast. Not again. Not again. <laughs> All right. Awesome. So it is time to get to our picks of the week. This is a chance for us to alert you to things that are important to us. And my pick of the week this time is a stick bag. Uh, I don't know how this has happened, but I haven't owned a stick bag in about 15 years. What? What do you do? Yeah, I I keep my sticks in my symbol bag. Okay. I literally just dump them in there, and that's kind of it. What about when you're doing a clinic or something? Where do they stay? I uh, just go out into the crowd, or I, f- I just find a water bottle and I take an exacto knife and cut the top off a water bottle and duct tape it to my hi hat stand. 
Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I don't Everywhere know why never, you go. <laughs> Everywhere I go, yeah. I mean, there's there's two things that that I do that are kind of unique in a clinic. Uh, I I do that. I just <clears throat> find a bottle. I mean, if they have a stick holder, I'll use it. I'm not against using it. But if they yeah. don't have a stick holder at the shop or or at, you know, if I'm at the London Drum Show, they don't have a shop there. So I'll do that. And then if they don't have a pedal that feels right to my foot, I feel bad for the shop owners. But a lot of times I'll find a soda machine. I'll buy a soda and I just pour Coke on the top of their pedal and I just what? let it dry. Yeah. And then it gets really grippy for the for the clinic because I like to have a grippy pedal. <laughs> now, who's the girl? <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Okay, you complaining about a pinky callus is way more girly than me pouring soda onto metal. That's but I'm man doing stuff. Pull ups, man. <laughs> <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> apparently, you're doing them with your pinkies. Uh, so yeah, so I, I usually will put a little soda on that. Uh, throw some Burt's beeswax chapstick on my sticks for extra grip. <laughs> for real? Wouldn't that make them kidding. slippery? No, man, it's wax. It, it it gets tacky. It gets tacky. Now, I usually, honestly. If I'm in a dry climate and my hands have no grip on the stick, which happens quite a bit, then actually I'll, I'll use hair product and I just take like the pomade style stuff and just rub it on my hands and then it, it's tacky. Yeah. Uh, there was stuff, and I'm not kidding, I was using the stuff that was used by NBA players that's like, it's called liquid chalk. But the primary ingredient it was ingredient in it is alcohol. It was, it's made by Steve Nash and a couple other basketball players own the okay. company. And it gave me the best grip I've ever had on sticks. But the problem was it really smells pretty heavily like alcohol. So at the end of the clinic, I'm meeting all these parents and these kids and I smell oh, like an alcoholic yeah. while I'm shaking their hands. So, but I really, enjoy, I got that at sports authority and I was like liquid chalk. This is what I'm looking for. So anyways, my pick of the week is a <laughs> stick bag. Cause I've never had a stick bag or I haven't had one since I was a kid. And I got this stick bag from tackle instruments and you have to, did you see the picture I put up on Facebook? Yeah. It looks amazing. Dude, and the drum key, like, yeah. uh, it is just unbelievable. So I got the compact canvas drumstick bag, and all I can tell you is you have to see this thing open, and I'll, maybe I'll post a picture of it open, but Scott McPherson owns the company, and he was selling these uh, to Revival Drum Shop and uh, Rhythm Traders. He's in Portland, Oregon. Okay. And now he's made his own company, but he tans his own leather, stitches the whole thing by himself. He's a He's a drummer. And the the craftsmanship is unbelievable, and I I was just blown away by the quality, and so I'm so excited to have a stick bag because it's kind of dope. So I was really shocked by the price uh, that I would never spend a ton of money on on a stick bag, but at the same time I kind of understand craftsmanship, so it's like oh this thing's going to be like two hundred bucks, yeah, m- you know maybe one fifty. It's seventy nine dollars. Oh wow! And it is gloriously handmade it is so incredible especially when you open it so guys uh, all you have to do is go to tackleinstrument.com and you can see that he's got canvas stick bags uh he's got cymbal bags snare bags and he's got the pat boone debbie boone t-shirt so and uh the leather drum key case is and you can put any drum key you want in there but the leather drum key case is 14 dollars, but it came with the stick bag so i'm not sure if that's normal or if he just hooked me up but either way it's absolutely awesome so that is my pick of the week sweet i want to go back to your 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 hand issue <laughs> yeah buddy bring it up do you tend to have dry hands or sweaty yes, hands dry oh so we're the opposite Oh yeah, yeah. I definitely don't have like clammy, palmy hand or palmy. <laughs> I don't palmy have clammy hands. palms. <laughs> yeah, I don't do the Ferris Bueller lick my palms and get out of school thing. Uh, I've always had dry hands, and then Vic Firth and Vader. They're the way that they finish their sticks. If you have dry hands, it's really hard to get a good grip. Where with like maybe Regal Tip, it would be fine because they got so much lacquer on them. Yeah, but, that's the exact opposite. Really, I cannot use Regal Tip because they they become like I'm a wet noodle in my hand. Of course, yeah, especially if you're sweaty. Yeah, um, and they just go flying out. Yeah, it it really sucks. I, I what happens is, let's say I show up in Minnesota in the middle of winter to do a clinic. It's very dry. I get there, and because I can't actually grip the stick very well, there's no tackiness to my hands. I end up having to grip tighter, and I wear out really fast yeah. because I'm gripping so hard, so the stick doesn't slip out of my hands. So, so yeah, so I've, huh. it's been one of those things where, it, as soon as I get, 
it used to be I get to town, it's like, okay, uh, I need to go get some hand cream or some lotion or something to put on my hands right before I play. And now I just got to the point that I just use my hair product and then I just I bring like kind of wet wipes with me and clean off my hands before I do the meet and greet. So my pick is is um, an album that came out a few years back that I completely ignored on purpose because I didn't want to go down the rabbit hole of, of obsession. Okay. Uh, it is Visions of an Inner Mounting Apocalypse, which is a fusion guitar tribute featuring Vinny Cagliuto on drums. What? And it's basically a bunch of modern-day amazing guitars playing Mahavishnu orchestra songs. Oh, really? Yes, you've got Steve Lukather, you've got Mike Stern, you've got Steve Morse, you've got Jimmy Herring, you've got Frank Gambale, Warren Hayes, John Abercrombie, um, and Jerry Goodman, the violinist from Mahavishnu, is he? I think it's his project. Okay, so, so these are actual Mahavishnu songs. Exactly, these are like full-on covers. Okay, yep, yep. They're doing. I don't. They're not doing the arrangements note for note, but sure, sound, it's pretty true to form. And Vinny is just annihilating the entire record. Is he the only drummer on the album? I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty wow. sure. I mean, it sounds like him on every track. So Ugh. when this record came out, I was like deep, deep in a Steve Jordan don't play any drum fills mode. Right. So I just said, all right, I'm never going to listen to that, even though I know it's probably amazing. <laughs> so then I finally Love put it, it on, and, and I can't help but just be drawn back into being, I mean, Vinny was my guy for a decade, and now I'm like, man, if I would have just kept studying Vinny, maybe I could play some drum fills that don't suck. <laughs> <You know? laughs> this is like the most self-deprecating episode ever. <laughs> like, dude, you are like, it's funny. Everyone everyone that I talk to about this podcast I run into, students, campers and stuff, they love your drumming. Like they really, they don't say like kind things, you know, just to be nice. Like yeah. they really love your drumming. So your drum fills are awesome. So wait, real quick, just uh, say the name of the album again, Visions of... Visions of an Inner Mounting Apocalypse. Jesus. Yeah. Jesus. The cover art... Oh, there it is. Yeah, it looks like an, an old Mob Vision Orchestra record. Oh, yeah. He's playing... I mean, so, to me, Vinny, he's a freak of nature, obviously. He's been a you know, virtuoso his whole life, but he has that combination I was talking about with Shannon Forrest where he just goes for it. But the only reason he gets away with it is because every note he plays is just perfect. It's right. perfectly in time. It's perfectly – the dynamics are perfect and perfectly consistent. So who can say don't do that? <laughs> you know, right. Don't yeah. play all those notes, Vinny, even though they're perfectly in time and perfect sound and your touch is perfect. <laughs> so that's the goal oh. for me is like to get to that point where there's no disputing that it's, it's accurate. It just comes down to taste whether you like that or not. And he's the perfect example. He's also dangerous because we think Vinny can do that. I can do that. Well, right. Whoa, do you have the perfect yeah. touch, the perfect dynamics, the perfect yeah. time? Yeah. I never watch a Rambo movie and think that I can do that. <laughs> right, right. And it's the same with Vinny. I never, I, I know. It's like, I'm well aware that it's like, eh, you just, hey, I don't mind taking a little influence from him. And there's so many little things in my playing that I got from him or Dave Weckl, but stringing it all together. Same, same thing with Tony Williams or yeah. you know, Max Roach. It's like, okay, I, I got this little thing, little little nugget of three notes in a row from them, but I, I'm not stringing it all together like that. And I definitely wouldn't have the guts to do it on an album in yeah. a studio, headphones on, producer staring me down. I'm like, well, this is coming your way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so one thing that I'm really excited about is I actually listened to the old um, records back in the day because I was a huge Billy Cobham fan. Yeah. And I couldn't get past the recordings. And this was recorded in 2005. So I'm really excited to hear some of these things with modern drum tones, yeah. modern recording processes. It's so pretty it amazing. amazing. I mean, there is a timbre of violin and electric guitar that's that's not super pleasing for everyone sure of course but there's it doesn't it definitely sounds a lot better and his drums are, are super clean and and really cutting like this is kind of his current sound which so the snare is pretty pretty popping pretty cracky he's playing double bass he's got the china i mean it's it's the whole thing it's the whole Vinny. Yeah, the whole, the whole, the thing. whole Vinny. Awesome. Well, I'll check that out and I'll send you a link to the uh, to tackle instrument, uh, or you can just type in tackleinstrument.com. But uh, <clears throat> so I will see you next week, buddy. And uh, next week we will listen to my 
two mic setup, and I will run you through my entire EQ, compression, settings, and all of that. Uh, be- until then, guys, if you have any questions, keep sending them in to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. That is where we can get your questions, and we can give them some thought and try to get to them as quick as we can. Also, it's a great place if you ever have any suggestions for the podcast, if there's any part of the podcast that annoys the crap out of you, or there's something you wish you heard more of, let us know. Uh, we we are new at this. We are Both Mike and myself are 37 episodes deep into podcasting, right, so, right. so we are totally not above practicing this just like we practice the drum set. All right, everybody, have a fantastic week. We will see you next time. <laughs>